Hey, he is risen, amen? Can we just give the Lord a big old round of applause this morning for what we celebrate, amen? Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. Happy Easter to you. I love watching you know, everyone come in, and it's so cool to see families and younger people and older people and singles, and it's just an awesome thing. And so thank you for being here this morning. We do not take this lightly or for granted, and we believe that you know, this is a divine appointment. I believe that, you know, that however you got here, you got here, and the Lord uh, has something in store for us. And today we celebrate what, what everything hinges upon. We celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All hail King Jesus, amen. And so last week, you know, we focused on the cross and we focused upon, you know, the, the, the body that was wounded, the blood that was shed, and we focused upon the sacrifice, the substitute. And if you remember there in John 13, you know, he says there in verse 31 and 32, now's the time. Now's the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now's the time for the Father to be glorified in Him. Now's the time to be glorified immediately. And what we celebrate today is that Jesus is risen and glorified, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Amen? So thank you for being here. Again, if you're a guest, definitely want to take this opportunity to just say thank you. Those who are gathering with us uh, online want to say thank you. And again, we count it such a privilege. Uh, and I don't believe in anything that's a coincidence. And I believe, again, that the Lord is doing great things here on this Easter Sunday. Take your Bibles with me, if you would, and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Now, we're going to jump back into John next week, and so here's my plug. Come back next Sunday. Uh, we're going to go into John 14, and if, if for those of you who have been around us, we're in this series of promises, and it's a beautiful passage of Scripture, right, from John 13 to 17, that it all takes place in one setting. They're all, it's in the upper room, right before the cross, and it's literally just Jesus dumping promises. It's Him just saying to them, okay, guys, I'm leaving, but this is what I'm leaving for you. Like, this is what unique and specific to you as a follower of Christ. And you know, they were struggling with that. You know, these disciples were, 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 were trying to keep Jesus from even going to the cross. Well, we don't want you to leave. Well, what do you mean? Where are you going? And you remember even that occasion where Jesus refers to Peter as Satan and says, yo, bro, you're on the same agenda as the enemy. You're trying to keep me from going to the cross. And that's why I came, was to die. And today we glorify the Savior who died and rose again. And so in that section of Scripture, I've asked you, like, put yourself in their shoes. We know the end of the story. And because we know the end of the story, like, some of the details may not hit us, you know, as hard. But if you look at it, right, there's only one disciple at the cross. Only John is at the cross. So you think about what's happening behind the scenes, right? You, you think about how hope has been lost. Jesus is dead, and maybe all that we did for three years really doesn't mean anything, and the disciples are nowhere to be found. And what I love is what we're going to look at this morning in the book of John. Eventually, we're going to get to the last chapter, John 21, and it's this beautiful picture of the resurrected Christ. It's this beautiful picture of how Jesus in His glorified state interacts with those who are His. But it all hinges upon the empty tomb. Take your Bibles and stand with me if you would. Matthew chapter 28, verse 6. Eight words in my translation, New King James. If you've got an NIV, seven words. If you've got another translation added up, not sure. But today in the New King James, four words that changes everything. Matthew chapter 28, verse 6. It says this, he is not here. For he is, say it with me. Let's do it again. He is not here, for he is. We're the only ones who can say that. That our Savior came and died and rose again. He is not here, 
Man, he is risen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we glorify the name of Jesus. We thank you for our King, our Savior, who came and died for our sins, but who conquered it all. We thank you that it did not end upon the cross. We thank you for the hope that lies within us, the victory over death, the victory over sin. We thank you, Lord, for that sacrifice that was made for us. And we thank you, Lord, that you conquered it all. And so today, may the name of Jesus be lifted high. Today, may we just see our Savior in a new way. Maybe someone today who will come to know him for the first time. Maybe someone today who has walked away somewhere in their journey and like Peter needs to be restored. Lord, you know the hearts of every person in this place. It's not a coincidence. It's not random that you brought us here. And so Lord, you tell us your word does not return void. So may the truth of what you've done for us change us. May it not just be a story, but may it be our testimony. As a sinner, my savior died for me. And because of his resurrection, I have new life in Christ. Lord, may the name of Jesus be lifted high. We pray we ask. It's in his name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. So have you ever had a situation where, you know, what appeared initially was not really what it was? What I mean by that is maybe something that came into your life that appeared bad and devastating. But yet after time, you look back and you go, you know what, I'm thankful for it. Don't want to go through it again, but I'm different because of it. I remember a seminary professor used to say to us all the time, we're too quick to call things. We're too quick to say that's a blessing or that's a curse. He's like, man, we need some time because sometimes something arrives and we think, man, this is a great blessing. But then over time we see that maybe it's not what we thought it was. And the opposite is true as well. Like what we thought was gonna take us down and destroy us actually was something the Lord used to deepen us and to change us. I remember I was a sophomore in college, I was playing in a summer league because this reminds me of a story, but it's my story, it's not a joke. And I was in the middle of a basketball game and I was talking to the other guy. I was sharing Jesus with him. I wasn't sharing Jesus with him. <laughs> I played basketball and I never talked trash, I never did. But if you talk trash to me, like my mouth just couldn't, it just couldn't stop. And so I had to respond. I think it's rude not to respond to someone when they talk to you. And so you need to talk back. And so we got into this exchange and it was the first game that my parents came to. It was a summer league game, it wasn't a big deal, but they came to it, Lake Taylor High School. And I remember at the end of the game, after some exchange, this individual grabbed the ball and I was guarding him and he looked straight down at me. He was about six, eight, and he took his elbow and he went, Whoosh! and I saw stars. And then all of a sudden my stomach started hurting and then all of a sudden blood just started flowing out. I go to the bathroom. This is a true story, by the way. I go to the bathroom. You know those metal mirrors in the public schools? Like, what's the point of that? It's like a funhouse mirror. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like that metal mirror, you know what I'm talking about? So I walk in there and I'm looking at this mirror and my nose is laying flat on the side of my face. This side had collapsed, this nostril, and it was literally laying on the side of my face. And I'm looking at this metal thing going, nah. And you know, we, have, we put too much emphasis on our outside appearance, but at 20, we struggle with that maybe a little bit more, right? And so vanity was something that had become a God in my life. And I've learned this, that anytime something in my life takes the place of the Lord, the Lord has a way uniquely of showing me how temporary that is. And I think that's a testimony for all of us. Whatever is sitting upon the throne, if it's not Christ, it's only a matter of time that he shows you how that can dissolve at any moment. And so I come to that mirror and I look at it and I'm like, nah, that ain't true. I walk out and there's my parents and my mom goes, oh, dear Lord. <laughs> I knew something was wrong at that point in time. 
I go to the hospital and the nurse says, 95% of broken noses do not need surgery. You need reconstructive surgery. You are in the 5%. So I go to the doctor and he's like, man, I'm gonna make you a new nose. I'm gonna give you a better nose. It was the worst experience, it was the worst surgery of my life. Some of you have had that, the, the, sep, the deviated, yeah, that thing, the packing and the, oh. So I come out of surgery and I am waiting tables in the summertime at my ma's with a nose brace across my face at 20 years old. So every table I go to, guess what the question is? What happened to your nose? And so I was just like, man, there was a kid getting bullied outside. I jumped in and I saved his life. And so then we just moved on from there. <laughs> so the story goes, I thought it was a bad thing. I mean, it was a tough situation. I had to wear a mask and practice. Like it was a rough thing. Years later, I get married, true story. And I think it was our anniversary. Amber says it wasn't, but to add to the story, I'm gonna say it was our anniversary. And we're sharing things about what, 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 the, what the Lord used, right, to draw us to each other. And she said to me, she said, you know, I'm a nose girl. <laughs> she said, the first thing I noticed was, now I'm not saying I got a good nose, that's the eye of the beholder, whoever, you may think a different nose, but to her, I had the perfect nose. And she said, it was the first thing I noticed about you. It was the first thing that drew me to you was your nose. I'm like, listen, you came under false pretenses. You fell in love with me over something that doesn't even belong to me. And so we may be soulmates, but understand you got some sin going on in your life there. <laughs> to this day, when I jump in water, I have to hold my nose. It's, it's the most humbling thing because I can't control the muscle in my right nostril. But what appeared to be bad, God used to bring me my wife. Can I get an amen? Romans 8:28 lives out in us. But here's the question that I ask you, right? In those moments, right, that's where the rubber meets the road. In those moments, can we go, you know what? I don't understand this. I don't like this, but I trust him. I don't understand this. I don't like this, but there's something happening behind the scene. Romans 8:28, all things work together. And so I think about those disciples because when hope is removed, it's a tough place to be in. When you lose hope and you can't see any way out, Understand you're in a position for God to do a major work in your life. And I think about these disciples, what was happening behind the scenes. The resurrection takes place, right? And this is what hinges everything. Like this is what, this is the difference between what we believe and anyone else, right? The resurrection is what separates, hear this, Christianity from any other religion. Christianity begins where every other religion ends. Every other religion, right, can point to a founding father. Hey, look at our leader. He was born and he taught and he lived, but he died, period. But we as followers of Christ can say, no, no, look at our savior. Look at our leader. He lived, he taught, he loved, he died. No period, he rose again. That changes everything. That's why next week when we get into John 14 and he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, that's why it is a narrow way to heaven. It's a narrow way to the Father and you have to go through Jesus. There's no other way. You know, I had a young man say to me, man, I just can't, you know, uh, organize religion. He's like, man, I can't deal with it, organize religion. I'm like, yo, I get that. I'm a pastor and I get that. The enemy doesn't care. He wants to substitute anything in our lives for Jesus. And it can be organized religion. And so my statement to him was, hey, separate a savior from all of that and just look one-on-one -on -one with the one who died for you, who loved you and took your place and took what you deserve and what I deserve. The resurrection is what everything comes down to. And even Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, if Christ is not risen, listen to what he says, then our preaching is empty. 
then what I'm saying to you is empty. And then he says what? And our faith is also empty. We can cut out the lights and go home and watch the masters. They're doing the third round right now. If he is not risen, let's go home and do other things. But because he is risen, we glory the name of Jesus. Can I get an amen? But I think about Peter in this. Why did Jesus appear? We say, the Bible tells us that after the resurrection for 40 days, and it doesn't mean that he was with them for all 40 days. There were different appearances that are recorded in the Bible. But the appearance in John 21 is so intriguing to me because of what's happening behind the scenes. Peter's denied Jesus. If you go to the end of John 13, right? He's like, don't go, don't go. I wanna go with you. And he says to Jesus, I'll die for you. And Jesus says, really, you gonna die for me? And then Jesus tells him by the time the crow or the rooster or whatever that thing is, you, you, you're gonna deny me three times. Have you ever let the Lord down? Have you ever felt like in a situation where you're just like, man, I can't do this. I'm trying, trying to live for Jesus, man. I'm trying to do the right thing, but I feel like I take a step and get knocked back too. Have you ever been there? And the guilt and the shame that the end, and, and the natural tendency is to run back to what? Where we used to be, what we used to do. And you see this pattern in Peter, we're Peter. We're all Peter, he has failed the Lord. Here's the man that's supposed to be the rock, the Petra, the rock in which my, and he can't even stand up for Jesus in a crowd that he doesn't even know. He can't even stand up to Jesus to this little girl who says, hey, aren't you one of those disciples? Imagine the guilt, the shame, what, what Peter was feeling. Well, Jesus got it wrong, I'm not the guy. I can't even stand up for him. And what you see in this picture is the resurrected Christ. I've always spent time with Jesus right before the cross, but I want you to see in his glorified state, the interaction he has with his loved ones. He knew these men would lay the foundation. He knew that what we have today would hinge upon these men. And he knew that he had to solidify them in a way that they were even willing to die for him. And you see this transition in their lives. It was these apostles, right? Paul says in Ephesians 2.20, the foundation of the apostles, Christ being the chief cornerstone, that they have laid the foundation for what we have today. So Jesus knew these men needed to be restored. Peter needed to be restored. And look at what happens. I'm gonna read some of these passages. Go to John 13. I want you to see this. Starts out in the upper room. We saw this last week, but let me just read a couple of verses. Simon Peter said to him in verse 36, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why cannot I follow you now? Well, lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Now let's go to the sudden, go to five chapters later, go to John 18, if you would, if you got your Bibles. We've got it on the screen as well, but I love the sound of the flipping. You can check your email, don't check your email. Look at John 18. I think play is suspended for the masters, so you ain't gotta worry about that, right? John 18, here we go. And Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. Hear this, verse 16, but Peter stood outside. Peter wouldn't even go in the room. Have you ever failed the Lord? Then the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, you, aren't you one of this man's disciples? And he said, I am not. Have you ever denied the Lord? Maybe not out loud, but in a situation, denied the Lord where you knew exactly what the Lord was leading you to do and you said, nah. 
and the shame and the guilt that comes with that. Here is Peter. I don't miss this. The servant girl said, are you not one of the man's disciples? He said, I am not. Verse 18, now the servant's an officer who made a fire of coals. That's interesting that you would put that detail in that story. A fire of coals stood there for it was cold and they warmed themselves and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Jump down to verse 25, if you would, and look at verse 26. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, you're not also one of his disciples, aren't you? He denied it and said, once again, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him, whose Peter, whose ear Peter cut off. So let's back up and under, now someone steps forward and go, yo, you're the dude that cut off my cousin's ear. I saw it. If someone cuts off your relative's ear, you're probably going to remember that face. Can we just say that? So he looks at Peter and I'm like, yo, that's the dude that cut off my cousin's ear. And yet still look at what happens. Peter then denied again, verse 27. And immediately a rooster croaked. I wonder what Peter felt when he heard that bird. And what's crazy about this interaction in John 21 is Peter is not pursuing Jesus. But in his disobedience and shame and guilt, I want you to see the resurrected Christ in a glorified state pursuing him. You could go to John 20 and almost say, well, that's the end of the story, right? Because you come to John 20 and he says, man, there's, so, there's many more that Jesus did, but, but I'm giving this to you so that you may believe and have eternal life. And you have that interaction with Thomas, right? Where Thomas is like, well, I don't believe. I don't believe that he's alive. And, and so Jesus says, yo, bro, you wanna see? Here's my hands, here's my feet. And then Jesus says to Thomas, what? Blessed are those who believe without seeing. That's us. Blessed are those who believe in me that I came and died and rose again without seeing. And you could end the book at chapter 20, but it'd leave us hanging. What, what happened to Peter? Where's Peter? Go to chapter 21, last chapter of the gospel of John. This is the third, hear me, third appearance of Jesus to Peter. And yet we still find Peter here. Verse 21, or chapter 21, verse one. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas, the, the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others, his disciples were there. Seven of them, add Thomas to the original six. These were the guys who Jesus originally called in Luke 5. So in Luke 5, he does this great miracle, right? Like Y'all didn't catch any fish, cast the net to the side, more fish than you can bring in. Remember that miracle. Now in John 21, those same dudes, but add Thomas, is back fishing again. And notice what Peter says in verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. Now that sounds awesome, right? I, honey, I'm going fishing for the afternoon. I'll be back later tonight. Well, good for you. He's not speaking about a hobby here, though. It's, I believe that you could prove in the original language that what Peter is saying here is not, hey, I'm just gonna go fish for the day. He is saying, I'm going back to what I used to do. I'm going back to my profession. I've obviously not cut out for the role that God's called me to. And I know how to do this at least. I know how to make a living fishing at least. I am not worth that. My self-doubt cannot bring me to a place to, to, to be challenged in my faith because I'm obviously just gonna fail the Lord. So why don't I just go back to doing what I was doing before I met Jesus? We're Peter in this. And he goes fishing and as the leader of these disciples, he's always listed as the first they follow him. And Jesus appears, notice this, they said to him, we're going with you also. They went out and immediately got in the boat and that night, what did they do? They caught 
nothing. They were kicking against the goads. Understand that, that God is sovereign over all of our situations. And they thought, hey, I can step outside of God's will and he has no control over what I'm trying to do. Yo, bro, you can go fish for months and years. God will send those fish away because he's got control over it all. And I've been in situations like this where you know what the Lord is calling you to do, but man, it's scary and there's fear, but I know how to do that. I know how to do that. I'll just go back to doing that. And without faith, the Bible says it's impossible to please the Lord. So I wonder how many people are crippled right here. Well, I failed you, Lord, I tried. I'm just gonna go back to what I was doing. Look at what Jesus, see the compassion of the resurrected, glorified Jesus. And that's a mystery there. In all of his appearances, he just appeared, right? In the upper room, it talks about he walks through doors. Like there's a great mystery here of the glorified state of Jesus. He's not in his physical state. He's in a glorified body, a glorified body that we will receive. A body to know no pain, no, no, no suffering, no shame. Can I get an amen? This tent will be shed. Can I get an amen? Because this tent is breaking down. Can I get an amen? To my older folks, can I get an amen? And one day we will get a glorified body that will not break down, that will not be hit by the sin curse of this world. Here's Jesus in a glorified state, and look at this. Just look at the simplicity of this. Just look at the intimacy of this. The God of this universe, the God who created everything and beyond what we can even see with our own technology, just sitting down with his friends who were broken and disobedient. And he comes to them and look at this, when the morning had come, verse four, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered him, no. What an awesome thing. Jesus knew they didn't have any fish. He knew that. It's kind of like a sarcastic, hey, bro, y'all catch anything? You got any fish? When he's the one sending the fish away, he knows. He's omniscient, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's in control of the whole situation. You think you can step outside where God's not intervening in your situation? You can't. And he said this, they didn't know it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some very similar to Luke 5. There's no argument here in Luke 5, Peter argues a little bit, yo bro, you're a carpenter, I'm a fisherman, we know what we're doing, but there's no argument here. So they cast it over. And now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish, verse seven. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, you gotta love the way John describes himself in his writing. He never says his name here throughout. The disciple whom Jesus, who's the pastor of River Oak? The pastor whom Jesus loved. Like that's the way he describes himself, I love it. Where am I at? Seven. Y'all better pay attention, verse seven. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And I love Peter. He's just so reactive, right? It's the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for you, and he jumps into the sea. Bro, what are you doing? But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land. I love this. But about 200 cubits dragging the net of fish. Picture this. Like, I picture this. Like, Peter sees Jesus. They're only 100 yards away. He jumps out the boat and starts swimming. Those other guys are like paddling beside him, like, yo, bro, we're, we're gonna get there first. And they arrive on the shore and there's Jesus and there's Peter, soaking wet. And watch what happens. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw what? A fire of coals. 
It's only mentioned two times in the Bible, 18, chapter 18, chapter 21. He even took, you wanna see the compassion of a savior? He even took the sense of smell that would remind Peter of his disobedience and his unfaithfulness, and he transitioned it for him. It's the picture of our story. It's the picture of our mess. It's the picture of, hey, here's my chaos, and in my hands is chaos. But when I let go and hand it to the Lord, he creates a masterpiece out of my chaos. But what does it require? Faith It requires yielding. And this picture here of the risen Christ and the smell of coals. So now no longer when Peter would be at a barbecue, would he be reminded of his disobedience now because of the love and compassion of Jesus, he's gonna be reminded of the grace of the risen Christ. He even transitioned that smell for him. And he laid bread and bread and fish. Jesus said to them, bring some fish which you have just caught. Love this, Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to the land full of large fish, 153. That's interesting that that detail would be there. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. 153 fish, let's just say each fish weighed two pounds. My math major's in here, how many pounds is that? Oh, come on y'all people. 150 fish, two pounds each, how many pounds? 300 pounds. Picture this, Peter's soaking wet. Dragging, those other two ain't helping him. He's dragging 300 pounds of fish. They've been fishing all night. They didn't catch anything. And then Jesus shows up and he changes their situation. He shows up and he changes the entire thing. It's the same elements. It's the same details, but in the hands of the enemy, it's one thing. In our hands, it's one thing. But when we take our hands off and say, Jesus, here you go, he creates something new. And look at this. Simon Peter went up and he dragged 300 pounds. Jesus said to him, come and eat breakfast. Don't, just don't miss that. The God of this universe, just simply having breakfast with his boys, meeting their needs, don't miss that. They've been fishing all night. That was hard work, they didn't catch anything. That's hard work. And the risen Christ in his glorified state just to meet their physical needs. You wanna see it just to meet their, here's, here's breakfast guys. You know how Jesus makes breakfast? Breakfast, like that's how he makes breakfast, breakfast. <laughs> but I just love the intimacy of this. Peter's denied him and he's already seen him in his resurrected state, this is the third time. And yet Jesus still pursues him. Peter's got his mind on other things. I'm going back to what I know and yet there's a savior pursuing saying, my grace is still here, my mercy is still here, my love is still here. I've got something for you greater than those things. If you're willing to lay your life down, I'll give you a new life. And Jesus knew, right, we know the story. Peter eventually was crucified. To, uh, to, legend tells us, tradition tells us he was crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy to be crucified like Jesus. And we see that, right? Jesus even tells him there's gonna come a day of persecution and suffering, but he knew he had to restore this man. And don't miss the grace. Look at verse 15 of John 21. He says, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, and he calls him by his original name because he's acting like the old Peter. So he doesn't call him the new name, he calls him the old name. And it goes back to a reference to Peter going back to those old things. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you have do you love me more than these? What an interesting statement. There's a lot of debate about that. 
Some people will say, well, he's, he's referring to the disciple, John. Do you love me more than these men? I don't believe that's what's happening here. I think it can be argued in the original language that Jesus is saying, do you love me more than these? Your boat, your nets, your hooks, your, your agenda, right? Your idea of what life, do you love me more than that? And isn't really that the question for all of us? Right, we talk about the resurrection, we talk about that he died and he rose again, and for those who profess by faith are saved, right, that, that by faith we are saved through his grace. But what it comes down to is do we love him more than? And you got to fill in that blank because we're all different. There are different things for all of us that draw us to things away from the Lord. And so the simple question that Jesus just looks at Peter and says, hey, you have a love for all this stuff, do you love me more than that? Are you willing to let go of those things to follow me. Do you see the pursuit, the grace, the mercy in his place of regret, in his place of shame? Here's the glorified, resurrected Jesus cooking breakfast and saying, yo, bro, I got something more for you. And look at what he does. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Let me go back, verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Lord, you know that I love you and feed my lambs. He said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son, do you love me? Peter was grieved because Peter knew that Jesus could see his heart. And Peter knew that he loved Jesus. He failed him on the outside, but he couldn't deny that he loved Jesus. He was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my she, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? And that's why we have in scripture all the references of serving two gods, because that's the natural tendency for all of us. We're all worshiping something because we're worshipers. God created us that way. So there's something sitting on the throne of every single person in this room because that's the way we're designed. That's the way we're created. That's the thing. We put it there and then we pursue it. And Jesus is saying, hey, okay, I've changed you. You've encountered the risen Christ. Now let me ask you a question. Do you love me more than the things of this world? Do you love me more than that old life? Do you love me more than comfort? Do you love me more than your agenda? Because I have eternal things for you. Notice what happens here. He says in verse 18, most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. This is a prophecy of his death and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him simply two words, follow me. Now I think about what happened in the heart of Peter right here. Because you go to Pentecost, right? You go to Acts and this dude at, at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes down, preaches and over 3,000 people respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the man who was cursing Jesus' name behind the scenes and now restored. This is the man who had no self-esteem, but now confidence and boldness, not in his own ability, but in the Lord that was in him. And we see it play out, right? Go to Acts real quick. Go to Acts. I got to hurry. Look at verse 2. This is this man speaking before the religious leaders. This is the same man who denied Jesus three times. But when he encountered God's grace and mercy and unconditional love, it lit a fire in his heart. 
And this is the man saying this, men and brethren, let me speak freely, Acts 2, 29, to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. And look at what he says. Therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the prom Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see in here. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. And we know that is a prophecy a thousand years before the death of Christ. Till I make your enemies your footstool, verse 36, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. Hear their response, verse 37, this puts us right here in this category. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, and this is what it comes down to, right? When the message is presented, when the gospel is presented that Jesus loves you so much that he died in your place and he rose again, what does it require? Not religious activity, nothing on the outside because our sinful hearts would boast in that. What does it require? Faith, it requires faith. It requires a heart that yields, that says, I believe what I cannot see, but I know in my heart that God, I trust in you. And they asked the question, what shall we do? In verse 38, then Peter said to them, here it is, repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Every head bowed and every eye closed. This is the same man. This is the same man that was running from Jesus, pursuing old things. But he was so captivated by the grace of a savior, by the pursuit of a savior. Over and over, we see the story of Peter. And listen, it's us. All we like sheep have gone astray, it's a picture of us. And this beautiful picture of, hey, you're one step away. <laughs> I don't care if you're taking a million steps, the enemy tells you you gotta take a million steps back, uh-uh, it's a lie. You're one step away, there's a savior, just as he was there with Peter saying, hey, have breakfast with me. Just come to me, talk to me, bring it to me. Stop carrying these things. I'm here to show you what I've got in store for you, for my glory, for my glory, and for your good. Hear these words this morning. Romans 5, 6. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man, will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even die. Here it is, but God demonstrates his love toward us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than, hear these words right here. Having been justified, how? By his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, 
We do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. Jesus gives the invitation, right? If anyone desires to come after me, Luke 9, 23, let him what? Do the hardest thing. Let him do the hardest thing. Let him deny himself the hardest thing. Let him turn from those boats, those old ways, that old life. Deny himself, lay himself down. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul? All of this comes down to the resurrection. All of this comes down to a person. It's not just a story. Jesus came and he did live. And it is documented outside the writings of scripture of this man who lived. And he died. And he died the most brutal death in the history of the world. The Bible says he was unrecognizable. The only one without sin, the only innocent one. And he would stand before the Father for us and say, I'll take their place. And that word justified is a legal term, that we stand before God clean. We stand before God whole. We stand before God righteous, not because we were good people, but because Christ was perfect. And his blood covers our sins. I'm gonna invite you to stand right where you are. We're gonna to go to the Lord in prayer. Our prayer each week, man, whether it's Easter, whether it's you know, Christmas, whatever it is, that you would see Jesus, right? That's the prayer. That you would see a person in all of this. And individually, you would see yourself in Peter. You may be Peter running this morning. You may be Peter, right, pursuing those old things. I pray that you see the compassion, the grace, the mercy of a Savior just waiting. One step away. Just give it to me. And John 6, the fish and the bread, right? What was it in the hands of that kid? It was only two pieces of fish and five loaves of bread, but in the hands of God, changed everything. What happens when we shift those things? Lord, I trust you with this. Take it back, but I trust you with this. And it all hinges upon the resurrection. That's where the victory is found. So if you're here today and you've never called upon the name of Jesus. I pray even in this setting, that his love for you would captivate you and as a result, change you. Join with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that it is finished. We thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that he came and he lived and he died and he rose again. We thank you for that. We glorify the name of Jesus. We lift high the name of Jesus. We thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you that there at that tomb in Israel, a sign can be hung, not here, not here. For our Savior is risen and because of that, you have given us victory. So we lift high the name of Jesus in this place. May it be quick to our minds, to our thoughts, to our lips the hope that lies within us, that our Savior is risen. We give you praise. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, can we give the Lord another round of applause before we go? Don't leave. Don't go nowhere. We're going to worship. God bless you. Have a wonderful Easter afternoon.